All right, first off, a quick review of where we have been and what we've talked about so far in this series. Jesus died to undo everything sin has done to you. Every single thing. That's a huge idea and amazing truth. He died to undo everything that sin has done to you and everything you have done with sin. Jesus' death on the cross undid it all because at the cross, Jesus won a victory that you could never win. He paid a debt that you could never pay and he made a sacrifice that you could never make. And because of that, we are rescued, we are redeemed, and we are reconciled to God. We are offered Jesus' righteousness, we're offered access to God, and we're offered new life in Christ And we are invited into a new covenant, given a new heart, and invited into a new family. So moving into the new content today, if you've been tracking with us for a few weeks, you might be thinking, well, like what's left? Like what's left to talk about? And you're right. We said three things happened at the cross. A victory was won, a debt was paid, and a sacrifice was made. And then we've spent the last three weeks talking about each one of those one by one. So what's left? And to start to talk about that, I need to ask husbands a question today. And in saying I'm asking husbands, I'm not excluding wives from this question or from this experience. Just talking from my, peop- from my perspective to other people who I would imagine have had similar experiences, husbands. When you're out somewhere and your wife calls you to tell you that something at home isn't working or stopped working, what is the first question that you ask in order to try to solve the problem from afar? Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? Like that's like, have you tried resetting it? Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? The idea behind this strategy, of course, is is the reason it's such a successful action in getting things working is that often when you turn something off and turn it back on, when it restarts, things work as if they have been restored to original settings. And the reason I bring that up today is as we talk about what happened with the victory that Jesus won for you, and as we talk about the price, the the debt that was paid for you, and as we talk about the sacrifice that was made for you, what God accomplished through those things, all nine things that we said are true because of those things, what that were rescued, that were redeemed, that were that we are given access, that all of that stuff, is that when you were given those things, when we were invited into those things, when you were offered those things, at the cross, God restored humanity to original settings. At the cross, God restored humanity to original settings. We've been rescued. We were taken from a life of captivity in a kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God. You weren't just taken out of captivity. You were brought back to where you belong, into the kingdom and the family of God. You were redeemed. You were bought at a price and cleaned up and cleared up and restored to original beauty and original perfection. You were made new. You were made like to to be like like you were brand new. You were reconciled. You were brought back to proximity to God and back to alignment with God, back to where you were supposed to be all along. You were given righteousness. In the beginning, we were made to be in right standing with God. And because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we've been brought back to right standing with God. You've been given access. We were made to be in the presence of God from the very beginning. And with because of the work on, of Jesus' work on the cross, we have been given access, given the access to God we were meant to have from the very beginning. You've been given new life, life that's not been defeated by sin, life 
life that lasts forever, life that truly fulfills, just like we were intended to have from the very beginning because of the work of Jesus on the cross. That's what you have. You were given a new covenant where, where your ability to be in right standing with God does not depend on your ability to fulfill the law or fulfill the rules or live up to a standard. It just is about God's ability to be good and to be loving and to be strong and be everything that he has claimed to be. It's based on his goodness, not yours. Just like from the very beginning, you're given a new heart, the heart that we were meant to have all along. And you're given a new family, just like we, the, the family that we were meant to be in, in all along, where we're connected to God as our heavenly father. And we have perfect connection with other people as the family of God. That's where we were meant to be all along, and that's what we were meant to experience all along. We were meant to be in God's kingdom all along, meant to be clean and free of the muck and dirt and brokenness of life, meant to be in proximity and alignment with God, meant to be in right standing relationship with God, meant to have access to God, meant to have God as our one and only source of life, living dependent on God's goodness, not our own, and with a heart desiring the things of God, living in the family of God. That is where you were meant to live all along, and that's what God intended for humanity to live and experience from the very beginning. At the cross, Jesus restored humanity to our original settings. And here's what's cool about all of that. That happens not because of anything we do or have done. It all happens because of the goodness of our God, the goodness of our King, the goodness of Jesus on display at the cross. In other words, because of the atoning work of Jesus, you have been restored to original settings. And in that, there is a realization that God didn't restore us to original settings so that we could sit on the shelf and look pretty until he one day renews all things and we all end up with him forever in the new heaven and the new earth that he will someday bring. With that, we also are given a new purpose, a new calling, a new responsibility, the calling and the responsibility that we were meant to live with from the very beginning. And so the question today that I want to answer at the end of this series, as we close out this series, and as we look toward Easter is simply this, what do atoned people do? What do atoned people do? People who have experienced and received the atoning work of Jesus that has restored us back to our original place with God, our original access to God, our original re re restored, redeemed, reconciled place with God. What do we do? How do we live? What do people do when they've been made righteous by God and been given access to God and found new life in God? What do people do when they've been rescued and redeemed and reconciled to God? And the clearest answer to that question is found in a passage from 2 Corinthians that we have actually read part of a few weeks ago, but today I want to look at the fuller passage. What's interesting about the context of this passage is that like in a few other places of of, of Paul's letters, Paul has just spent a considerable amount of time talking about how if it, were, if it were up to him, he would already be done with his time on earth and he would be enjoying eternity with God. Saying, if I had the choice, like I would no longer be here. I would think that I have done enough, accomplished enough, done enough for God, done enough to fulfill my responsibility to God. Like I think I've done enough. And if I had the choice between staying in this world and going to be with my heavenly father, I think I would, like if I had the choice, I want to go be with my, my heavenly father. I want to spend eternity with him. I want to be in his presence, like face to face. Like I want to know and see my God. But 
Paul figures, as he does in other places of his letters, since he's still alive and rolling in this world, God must have a reason that he's still alive and a purpose for Paul while he is still on the earth. Paul's conclusion is simply this, that if you're not dead, he's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, if you're not dead, if you've still got breath in your lungs, God is not done working in you and he is certainly not done working through you. If you still have breath in your lungs, God's not done in you and he's not done through you. Imagine Paul. Imagine Paul going like like, "Hey God, I have traveled so many miles. I've gone where there was no one who knew you. And by the time I left, there was lots of people who knew you. People have tried to kill me. Snakes have bitten me. I've been through shipwrecks. I've had people hate me so much that they promised that they wouldn't eat until they caught and killed me. I have done a lot. I think I've done enough. I think I should be done and should be able to go to be in heaven with you and see you face to face and know you face to face and hear your voice with my own with my own ears, not just in my heart and my conscience. Like, I want to know you face to face. I think I've done enough. I think I'm done. I think I'm done. I think you should be done with me. Like Paul's sitting in a Roman prison going like, God, I think this is probably the end. I don't even, like, I don't think there's purpose today while I'm sitting here in a prison. And Paul has come to the conclusion that if he's not dead, God is not done with him. And that's good news for some of you today because if you're not dead, which I would imagine, if you're watching today, the good news is you're not dead. And the even better news is God's not done with you. No matter what you have already done, God's not done with you. No matter how much you've already seen, God's not done with you. You're right. I've seen miracles. I've seen tr- families transform. I've seen so much. Obviously, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting to believe, be a little bit older, and I'm sure there's nothing ahead of me that I haven't already seen. And no matter what you've seen, God's not done. No matter how old you are or no matter how young you are, if you've still got breath in your lungs, God is not done working through you. You still have purpose. You still have days ahead of you. And if you have days ahead of you, you have God who is working in the days ahead of you and wanting to, wanting you to accomplish something with the days ahead of you. So what does what he say then? After the, what is his conclusion that the purpose is? Why is he still here? Why, if there's still breath in his lungs, what is he still meant to accomplish? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11, it says this, Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. We, we try to persuade people. And he goes on to say, what, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearances rather than in the heart. For if we were out of our mind, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. He says, we're trying to persuade people. When we're out of our mind, it's for God. When we're in our right mind, it's for you. It's for your benefit. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. He says, we try to persuade people and we try to persuade people because we have been compelled by the love of God, by the love of God on display through Jesus's work on the cross, by the love of God that has been poured out for the benefit of every man that's ever lived. He says, we are compelled. He's like, if you want to know what your life is about, if you're still living, if you've been saved by Jesus and he didn't immediately take you to heaven, what you live for is that you have been compelled. You're 
pushed forward. You're sent out by the love of God and you're sent to all. You're compelled by love and you're sent to all. You're compelled by love and you're sent to all. In, the, in other words, the question here is simply this. What, what are we up to? What are we supposed to be up to? We are compelled by love and we're sent to all. We're compelled by the love of Jesus to go and tell everyone everywhere about the love of Jesus. What do atoned people do? We're compelled by love and we're sent to all. And then an interesting question that arises here, well, who is the good news for? And Paul would say, it's for all because one died for all. It's for everyone. It's for people who have been grown, who grew up in church and they know a whole lot of the answers. Jesus died for them. It's for people who haven't set foot in a church in a long, long, long time or ever. Jesus died for them. It's for people who are all over the political spectrum, for people all across all, the, all different races, all different backgrounds, all dif different ethnicities, all different experiences, all different education levels. Paul says, we are compelled by love and we're sent to all, that the good news is good news for everyone. And because the good news is good news for everyone, and there are some people who haven't figured it out yet, we, because we're compelled by love, we're pushed forward, and we're sent out to all. And he goes on to explain what they're sent out to do. Verse 16, from now on then, we, for now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly, worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. He says, we don't measure people in terms of this world. So the, the world measures in terms of successful, unsuccessful, slave and free, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, white, black, brown, all, all across the melanin spectrum, like educated, non-educated, like all, all, all different experiences. He says, that's how the world views. But in our view, because of what Jesus has done for us, Paul is ultimately getting at is that now we don't view from a worldly perspective. There's now no, no, there's no longer rich and poor. There's no longer successful, unsuccessful. There's no longer educated, uneducated. Like there's no longer old and, and, and young. He says the way that we view people now is there are two groups of people. There are two groups of people. Those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord and those who don't yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that's it. There are only two groups of people in, in, in Paul's perspective. There are people who know Jesus as Savior and Lord and those who don't yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Not out of superiority. This is out of the acknowledgement of the reality that actually matters. Paul would say white, black, and brown doesn't really matter that much. Educated, uneducated doesn't really that matter, matter that much. Rich and poor, in the light of eternity, it doesn't matter that much. He says, but I do want, to, want you to be aware of the one thing that actually will matter for eternity. There are people who know Jesus and there are people who don't yet know Jesus. It's also fully aware that everything that's true of people who don't know Jesus, apart from Jesus, was true of you until you found Jesus. This is a humble perspective. Looking at, I, there, there's people who know Jesus and I count myself as one of them. And there's people who don't yet know Jesus. And I'm brokenhearted that people don't yet know the Jesus that I have come to know. And when someone knows Jesus as Savior and Lord, we love them as sisters and brothers in the new family of God that we have been made a part of. And when someone does not yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we do everything in our power to help them come to an understanding of and a relationship 
relationship with Jesus as Savior and Lord so they can become sisters and brothers in the new family of God. This is what we're supposed to do. We want to bring people to be part of the new creation where the old has passed away and the new has come. This is what we are called to do. And then he goes on to push forward, to push up the hill. In verse 18, he tells us this, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. This is what we talked about a few weeks where the, that through the cross, God has brought us into proximity so he can bring us into alignment. This is what reconciliation is. And Paul says, that's what God has done for every single one of us. But while that's what he has done for us, now he has given that responsibility to us to go out and proclaim to the world that the world has been reconciled to God through Jesus, that through the bloodshed of Jesus, that when you receive Jesus, you can come into the proximity and therefore come into alignment with God. In other words, the reconciled are sent out with a mission to reconcile. The reconciled are sent out with a mission to reconcile, that God brought us close to him, brought us into proximity so he could bring us into alignment with him. And as we are brought into alignment with him, God then sends us out to let people know who are currently out of alignment, currently away from proximity with God, that they, because of Jesus, can be brought back into proximity so that they can be brought back into alignment with God, this is what, rec- what the ministry of reconciliation is, that we are sent out with a mission to reconcile, to bring people back into a right relationship and in a strong connection established through Jesus with our heavenly Father. And then he pushes up one more, one, one more piece to get to the, the pinnacle of, of what he's been building to all along. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if you're wondering, what's this all pushing to? What's the fancy bottom line? Here's the fancy bottom line. Once you're restored, you're sent out to reach someone else. Once you're restored, you're sent to reach someone else. That's what God does. That's what God does with people who have been atoned, with people who have been returned to original settings. Once you have been restored to original settings, God sends you out to reach someone else, to bring them back to him, to bring them into alignment with him so that he can restore their life to original settings so they can experience what God intended for them from the very beginning. Once you're restored, you are sent to reach someone else. And the question then becomes, well, how do we do that? We do it in three ways. We pray, we serve, and we tell. We pray, we serve, and we tell. This is what I call the pst method. It's the pst method. It's pray, you serve, and you tell. You pray, you serve, and you tell. We pray for people who don't yet know Jesus to come to know Jesus. Sometimes we pray in general terms that, God, there's people out there who don't know you, and I want them to come to know you. And sometimes we're praying in specific terms. God, there's a specific person that I know and that I have influence, and I pray that you would move in their heart and move in their lives so that they would come to know you. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus actually commanded us to do this. In Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, which includes me and you because we're followers of Jesus, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. 
Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. In other words, people who want to know God, people who want a relationship with God, someone needs to go and bring them in. Someone needs to go tell them. Someone need, like So we pray that the harvest would be plentiful. We pray that people who want to know God would find God. We pray that people who have a deep longing in their soul for a relationship with their Heavenly Father, and they may not even know that or know how to say it, but they have a deep longing and they have a deep hole in their soul, that they would find connection with their Heavenly Father. We pray to our Heavenly Father, that people would come to know Him and people would come to have a relationship with Him. We pray and we serve. Here's the amazing thing about this. We are ambassadors of a servant Savior. We are ambassadors, we're told, of a King who washed feet. We are ambassadors of the Son of God who touched lepers. We are ambassadors of the miracle worker who multiplied food for thousands simply because they were hungry and He could. What we do when we serve is we meet needs so hearts and eyes can be open to the goodness of God. That sometimes there is an actual legitimate physical need that stands in the way of someone's ability to see and focus their eyes on God and see and focus their heart on the actual God who loves them. When we serve in Jesus' name, what we do is we amplify the message of Jesus because we break down barriers that people can actually see Jesus. We meet physical needs so people can experience their spiritual savior. We serve because our savior set an example of one of being one who would serve. And when we serve, we're like our savior. And when we serve, we set an example for the world around us. And when we serve, we clear the way so people can see the savior of the world, for the world around us to see the goodness of God. Sometimes they need to see the people of God doing good and being good to them. We serve in the name of Jesus so that people can see the goodness of God through the goodness of us. And then finally, we tell. We tell, which means we use our mouth. We use our fingers on, the, on, on, a, on a keyboard or on our, our phones. We use our, our, our language to tell people about the goodness of God, about the love of God displayed through Jesus on the cross, that they can come to know Jesus, can come to know God through the work of Jesus on the cross and be reconciled to their heavenly father because of what Jesus has done for them. We tell in a couple ways. We tell in a couple ways. We announce, we explain, and then we invite. We announce, we explain, and we invite. To talk a little bit about, about announce, we are given, we are messengers. We're told that we are, have been entrusted with a message. We're entrusted with a message, which means we are messengers, which means we have a message to announce. In the, the role of a messenger in the ancient world was the messenger for the king is responsible to the king. Okay, this isn't like the US, a UP, USPS driver or a UPS driver or a FedEx driver who's ultimately responsible to FedEx. If they lose your package, they're responsible to FedEx, but they're not responsible to you. They're not responsible to the person who paid to have the thing sent. They're responsible to FedEx. This is, the king has sent you with a message, and if you don't deliver the message, you're responsible for, to the king for the message that failed to be delivered. We announce that God has sent Jesus into the world because he loves the world and wants the world and wants every human being forever, every, every human being that has ever lived. He wants them to come into a relationship with him. We announce that. We use our language. We use our words. We use our online words. We use our typed words to tell people and to let people know that God loves 
them. This is part of the role of the church, but this is also part of the role of our, our lives in workplaces and in our neighborhoods and at our soccer practices and at basketball and baseball practices and on the softball fields. And we are like, this is what we do wherever we go. We are supposed to, with our lives and with our words, announce the love of God, announce the message of reconciliation of God reconciling the world to himself. We announce and we also explain. In 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16, it says this, do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense or an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience. So that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. This means we, we, we explain, which doesn't mean we go looking for debates. Doesn't mean we go searching out debates. Doesn't mean we go looking out for arguments to win. But it does mean that when you have announced that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus for you so that you could be freed from the power of sin and be reconnected to your heavenly father. When you announce that message, when you announce that message, when someone asks well, why do you believe that? Well, why, like, why would you tell, like, why do you think that's for everyone? Why do you think that's for me? When someone has a genuine question, we can answer their genuine question with a genuine answer. When someone is genuinely curious, we can be genuine in response. This is the combination of 15 and 16. 15 without 16 looks a lot like what we so often see on social media with rude argumentative people standing up for the faith. Amen. I'm all for standing up for the faith, but I don't know why people who are standing up for the faith always come off like they're yelling at people, okay? That's what 15 is without 16. 16 without 15 looks like desperately wanting to be unoffensive that we fail to say anything. This is, there is a reason for, for the hope that I have. And I want to be gentle and I want to be courteous and I want to be genuine and I'm not going to, I don't want to force it. But when you have a question, I, I have, I have a reason. I, I have a reason. I have an answer. I have, I have, I have what God has done in my life and I'm going to be courteous and I'm going to be genuine when, when I explain. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to go debating you, but, but, but there are answers to the questions that, so, that you may have. So here's the question. What's your answer? What's your answer? If you only had 15 seconds to explain to someone why you believe what you believe, why you believe that God loves the world so much that he sent his son to die for us so that we could be freed from the power of sin, what's your answer? If you got 15 minutes, if you got one minute, if you got five minutes, if you've got an elevator ride, like what is your 15 second answer for why you believe what you believe? Your answer might be something like this. Well, following Jesus has saved me from my sin. I'm going to tell you, that will probably open up some, some conversation. Following Jesus has made me new. Following him completely changed my life. Like when I began to follow Jesus, and then the elevator doors open, following Jesus has completely changed my life. When I orient my life around the things and the teaching of, and the ways and the following of Jesus, like following him has completely made me new. It's made me better. You could say that following Jesus has made me better at this life and has made me confident of eternal life. You could say in Jesus, I have found the grace for my mistakes and the strength for a better future. I don't know how you say it. Maybe that becomes your answer. Maybe some of the words that I just said would become your answer. But I'm just gonna tell you, you need to have some answer like that because you have a call on your life to not just announce, but to also explain. And then the last thing that I would say, say we, we do on, on the side of this is to invite. 
is to invite, to invite people to follow Jesus, but also to, in, in case we don't feel like we're ever bold enough for that, or we don't have the answers to the questions, or what we, like, like sometimes someone just needs to take a step toward Jesus by, by showing up at church, we make sure that we invite people to places designed with them in mind. Sometimes that's a digital space like this. Sometimes it's an in-person space like our, like our church, like, like our church in-person services. But we invite people to places to, and to experiences where they can take a step to know Jesus more clearly and to know more about Jesus. And the reason that I would encourage us to think about this as we in, in the lead up to Easter is simply this. Every Easter, there are people who will show up to churches all around our city and all around our world and, all, and to churches in the world that we live in right now, to churches online all around the world. And not all churches are created equal when it comes to people who don't yet know Jesus. There are some, some places and some experiences online where if you show up and you don't know much about Jesus, you will be absolutely lost and you have no idea what's going on because the place isn't prepared with them in mind. Our church... I am so proud to say this. I'm so proud to be the pastor of a church that drives this forward and keeps pushing for this. Our church is a church designed with people who don't yet know Jesus in mind. We want to continually be a, a church that is inviting people who don't yet know Jesus but are curious about Jesus. And when people who are curious about Jesus show up to a church designed with them in mind, designed to speak language and in, in speak in ways and communicate the gospel in ways that speak to real needs and speak to real experiences with real language, I'm just telling you, when people who are curious about Jesus show up to churches like that, lives are changed Ever. And that 15 second answer that is your answer, that following Jesus changed my life, it completely made me new. It took me from the person that I was to the person that I am today. And I have confidence in eternal life on, on, on top of being better at this life. I'm just telling you, that becomes the story of your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members who are curious about Jesus now. That's what can happen in the lives of someone that you care about this Easter. And so I would just ask you the question, who knows what happens on the other side of your invitation? For some of you, you came to know Jesus because someone invited you to a place designed with you in mind and shared the gospel and people were hospitable and people were welcoming and people were friendly and all the things that, took, that, that kind of stood in the way of you attending church or showing up at church, it all kind of faded into the background and everything faded into the background because it was all done right. For the first time in your life, you showed up to a church where the things that, were, that had stood in the way got out of the way by doing them right. And because everything was done right, you could experience and hear the love of God because you weren't looking through all the things that, that, that went wrong before, before you could hear about the love of God. That's what's possible when, when a church shows up and shows out and shows the goodness of God so that people can experience and know the love and the mercy of God of God. Who knows what's possible? Maybe, maybe nothing happens. Or maybe everything happens. Maybe someone's eternity is changed forever. Maybe someone's eternity is changed forever. And because that person's eternity is changed forever, their entire family's eternity and destiny is changed forever. Maybe there's generation after generation after generation that is blessed because you step up with boldness 
for an invitation to to a service like Easter, to a service like any Sunday morning, but to a service this week, there's someone who's going to come to know Jesus. And because they come to know Jesus, their whole family is going to come to know Jesus. And because the whole family comes to know Jesus, there's a child who comes to know Jesus who will one day be a preacher who reaches an entire generation or an entire city or an entire school. Who knows what could happen? Maybe nothing, but maybe everything. This is what people who have experienced the atoning work of Jesus do. We, people who have been saved are sent out. People who are saved are sent. People who are restored are sent out to reach another one so that another one's life can be restored by the work of Jesus on the cross. And this time of year, what better time to invite someone, to explain to someone, to announce to someone, to pray and to serve like crazy so that we can do everything that we can to get out of the way so that the message of reconciliation is what comes through the clearest, that God has reconciled people to himself and we have a responsibility with our words, with our actions and with our prayers to make sure people know and to do whatever we can in our power to help people find out that there is a God who wants to bring them close to him so that they they can be brought into alignment with him. This is what atoned people do. And I hope this week that we'll step up and do what atoned people do so that people we know and love and care about can experience the atoning work of Jesus in their lives. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for Jesus' work on the cross that has restored us and redeemed us and has made us new and has reconciled us to you and has given us access to you and has given us a place in the new family of God. Thank you for everything that Jesus' work has accomplished for us and they in, in Jesus because of Jesus' death on the cross, every single one of us, we are restored to original settings, to what you've planned for us and intended for us all along. Thank you for that. And God, thank you that in our original settings, we have the opportunity to go out and tell other people that there is a God who wants to restore them and to, to experience everything that they were created and intended to experience all along as well. So God, help us to carry this ministry and message of reconciliation well this week and the lead up to Easter on a day where so many people that we know will show up somewhere. God, help us to make sure that they show up at the right places, at places where they will hear and know that there is a God who loves them, a God who cares for them, who is for them, who loves them and loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. Help us to do that, God. Give us courage, give us wisdom, and God, give us boldness to speak up, to, to, speak up, to, pray, to pray like, like, our, like someone's life and eternity depends on it because it does, to serve like someone's eternity may depend on it because maybe it does, and to be bold with our words and to announce and to, to explain and to invite like someone's eternity depends on it because God, it does. So help us to do that well this week. Help us to be wise. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be smart and help us to be bold. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.